Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. Share a message with you today entitled, What's in a Conversation? What's in a Conversation? I want to talk about conversations, conversations we can have with one another, conversations we can have with our kids, conversations we can have with our spouses, our friends, our family members, uh, the people in our community group, the people in our area, our neighbors, anybody we meet. These conversations that we get to have that can help us disciple one another. I don't know if you've ever had an awkward conversation. I think this is one of the reasons why people don't engage in it, because sometimes conversations can be awkward. You know, if you're a parent and your kids have ever asked you the question, mom, dad, where do babies come from? You know that that sets up the platform for a possibly awkward conversation to have. I heard a dad mention this week about how his son came up to him and said, dad, where does poo come from? And so about 10 minutes into his discussion about the anatomy and function of the digestive system and where poo comes from, um, you know, the kid's face becoming ever more disgusted and perplexed. Um, you know, about 10 minutes in, his son stopped him and he says, and Tigger? <laughs> um, poor, poor kid's traumatized for life. I did not know that that's where Winnie the Pooh came from. So sometimes it's the subject matter that's awkward. But more often than not, it's the person that you're having the conversation with that's actually causing it to become awkward, especially a certain kind of person. And if you're this kind of person today, we're going to be praying for you. I think we should do like, we're going to call you up after the service. We'll lay on hands and just trust God for a miracle. But there are some people in this world that are way too comfortable with silence. You know that, with that, that those like long extended gaps of silence mid-conversation. Do you know anybody like that? Have you ever had a conversation with somebody like that? You know, they'll, they'll, they'll speak to you and then they'll just look at you for a, for a very long time. And it leaves you either, you have, you, have to, you have to make some sound in that time to cover the awkwardness or just stare deeply into their eyes for several seconds at a time. Like as if your communication had shifted to some other realm now. We're, di- we're communicating differently now without words, you know. It's so difficult to be in those conversations. I've got a, a friend who's actually a pastor in South Africa. He's a great guy. But he'll phone me and the start of the conversation always goes like this. He'll phone me and he'll go, hey, Adrian, how's it going? And I'll say, hey, great to hear from you. Doing well, thank you. How are you guys doing? And he'll go, no, no, good, good. That's legit. Five seconds, 10 seconds, nothing else gets said. And eventually I can't handle it anymore. So I'm like, so what's happening? It's like, I, I want to remind him, you phoned me. What did you have to say? Like, you know, I'm thinking to myself, dear God, say something. It's getting weird. And so often I've had those kinds of conversations where, where people just don't speak and it becomes awkward. And I think that we are all often uncomfortable with having to deal with some of those, that awkwardness in conversations. But what I want to convey to you today 
is that we are never truly going to be the disciple makers that God called us to be if we don't get good at conversation. If we're not willing to even risk some of the awkward moments, some of the difficult moments, some of the, the hard to deal with moments that come up in conversations. Because there's something powerful that God has given us the ability to do as we speak His truth, as we speak His word, as, we, as God highlights something in our spirits for someone else. There's something that happens through the transmission of God's word through our conversations that you cannot get from a textbook that you cannot get from a sermon on a Sunday, that you cannot get in any other way than by being in community and hearing from someone that has heard from God. There's something powerful that God can do in and through our lives through conversations. And so we have to be good at conversations. We need to know how to speak into the life of someone else. It's part of the command of Jesus in the Great Commission. We see this in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, a verse that we've read now a few times in this series already. But Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, of all people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so part of making disciples is that we have to be able to teach. We have to be able to speak. We have to be able to converse. We have to be able to journey with people in everyday life, right? The stuff that we teach here on a Sunday is not just surface level, grand theme kind of stuff. We need to be able to get into a place where in our relationships and, and in our journey with one another, where we're actually speaking into real life situations, circumstances. So it's not enough just to come and hear a sermon on a Sunday. You need to be able to turn to someone and say, I'm dealing with this situation. Can you please help me? I'm struggling with this addiction. Can you please pray for me? These are the sins that keep tripping me up. Can you pray for me? Can you stand by me? Can you hold me accountable? We need to have the kind of relationships that will cause those kinds of, of, of conversations to be natural. And so what's in a conversation? The revelation of truth always comes as the result of a spoken word. The revelation of truth. Think about it. How many times in your life have you just been walking down the street and all of a sudden God spoke to you and you just had a revelation? A few times, I'm sure. But compare that to how many times you got a revelation because somebody was speaking to you about the truth of God's word. We are far more available and, far, and it's, it's far more common how God works. Is Yes, sometimes he'll speak to you directly and give you a revelation just while you're walking down the street, while you're minding your own business. But more often than not, that revelation comes from hearing the word of God spoken through the life of someone else. That is how God chose to communicate his word. He chose to communicate it through those who would communicate it. That's why it tells us in Romans, it says to us, and it's a scripture that I'll come back to a little bit later, but he says, how will they believe unless they hear? And how will they hear unless someone preaches to them? Unless somebody shares the gospel? 
And so people are not just going to all of a sudden hear God's voice. It often happens as we introduce them to the voice of God. There's something powerful that happens, this revelation that's revealed when the, the spoken word, the logos, it becomes infused by, by the power of the Holy Spirit and is delivered to somebody's heart as a rhema word. You see, my words are just human words. I can just say my human words. But what God does is he takes the truth I'm declaring from his word. He infuses it by the, with, with his grace and, his, and, and the voice of the Holy Spirit. And what you're hearing is not my voice, but God's voice. You're hearing something deeper than what I'm able to say. And that is how God works. He speaks through us. And then that word becomes a rhema, a revelation. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. But it happens as we proclaim the truth of God's word, as we speak to one another. Hebrews 3 verse 13 says, encourage one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see, we, we're called to encourage each other, to speak to each other, to, to speak into each other's lives, because it's actually protecting us from how the world, how the culture of this world that we spoke about uh, two weeks ago, how the culture of this world wants to disciple us, wants to lead us in a certain direction. And then when somebody comes and speaks the perspective of God to our lives again, it completely brings us back into alignment with what God has for us. Often as leaders, as pastors, as community group leaders, as parents, as, as friends, we have a desire to share the gospel or to disciple one another or to encourage each other in God's word. But we fret about the delivery. We worry about whether or not enough we said it in the right way or whether we were sensitive enough or whether it was too offensive how we brought it across or too blunt or, or, or not clear enough. I don't know if any of you have ever shared in any kind of a context or maybe even just one-on-one -on -one with a friend, walked away thinking, I don't know if any of that communicated. <laughs> like, I don't know if that translated at all or if it just seemed like I was speaking gibberish. I remember um, leading one of my friends to the Lord and we, we were walking around and, and we sat down uh, at night where we were walking and I, and I, and I prayed with him on a, on a park bench and he gave his life to Jesus. And we, we walked back, we were staying at a hotel and we walked back and I was going to my room, he was going to his and, and I had my Bible in the room with me. I had taken it with me there. And, um, and, and as I was going back to the room, I was so worried that nothing I had said in the previous like hour and a half while I was witnessing to him actually made sense. So before we got to the room, like we're going into the room at like 1 a.m. in the morning. I'm like, do you want to borrow my Bible? I'm like, do you want to read some stuff? Because I don't know. Did you get what I was saying there? Like, did that make sense? You know, um, and we can fret over the delivery. I can tell you as somebody that, that speaks, um, you know, every Sunday or most Sundays, oftentimes I'm, I'm tempted to worry about whether or not what I was saying actually came across well, whether people received it. But you know what sets me free from that worry, from that concern, is knowing that as long as I communicated the truth of the gospel, as long as I communicated Jesus, as long as I honored God through what I was saying, even when my delivery is imperfect, God is doing something more than what I could do through a perfect sentence. He's doing something through the power of His Holy Spirit. It's life-giving. The Word of God is life-giving. And so even when I or we make a, a feeble attempt at sharing the gospel, we can trust that God's Word, the same Word that shaped heaven and earth, 
as God spoke it into being. That same word, as it is infused by the power of the Holy Spirit, will change the life of anybody hearing. That should give us some courage in our discipleship. That should give us some, some boldness in our witnessing. You know, when I'm telling somebody about Jesus, when I'm witnessing to them, I'm almost, it's a three-part conversation or, or there's three parties in the conversation. Because I might be speaking to them, but while I'm speaking to them, I'm also in my, in my spirit, in my mind, praying for them. And as I'm speaking, I'm asking God to be my inner ally. Not inside of me, but inside of them. So when I'm speaking to somebody, and, and they might be somebody who, as the scripture said, is hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's literally upset about the fact that I'm talking to them about Jesus. But I'm trusting that even as I just speak mere human words, that even as those words, as the truth of the gospel reaches their ears and their natural inclination is to reject it, that God is speaking to them on the inside. So I'm speaking from the outside, but God is speaking to, to them from the inside. And I've got an inner ally helping me to witness to them. I believe in the power of that. So I believe that it doesn't matter who I'm standing in front of, it doesn't matter how long they've been, you know, a hell-bent, hell-raising sinner that doesn't want to know anything about Jesus or the gospel of the church. I believe that if I speak to them the words of God, that in that moment, the Holy Spirit can speak to them from the inside and a miracle can happen at any point. I have full confidence in the fact that any single person that we share the gospel with can hear that and can receive that revelation from heaven in that moment. Or anybody that we're discipling can hear God speak to them in that moment. If we simply speak His words, it has the potential to change anyone's life. And so all we need to do is be faithful to speak. Be faithful to have the conversation, to venture out and to ask a question or to, or, to, or to share something that will create an opportunity for you to be able to share the gospel. When we're sharing, we have an inner ally, God speaking from the inside. And, and, and what often happens as you do this is that it is that the truth is, is something that cannot be escaped. It's it's so powerful that it's almost, it makes you vulnerable in that moment. Truth has that way of doing it. It's, 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 it's confronting in many ways. And so usually what happens is that people either, if you're sharing the gospel, either instantly turn around and want to believe in Jesus or they get angry. It's very, very seldom would you have a neutral response to somebody sharing the gospel because that truth immediately demands a response. You're either going to say yes to it or no to it. It forces you into a decision and people would prefer to not be forced into decisions. Don't raise that issue with me. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about the afterlife. I don't want to think about whether or not I might be accountable for my sin. I don't want to think about whether or not I want to change my life. Don't raise the issue with me because you're putting me in the position now where I have to decide whether I believe or I don't. I have to become definitive about something that I prefer to be, you know, blurry on. And, and so truth has this way of, of actually awakening people to a decision to submit or reject. And they'll look at you like, why are you making me do this? Why, are we why do we have to have this conversation? 
We see an example of this in Acts, in Acts 7 with Stephen. Acts 7 verse 2, it says, And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. Right? So he gets up. He's been charged uh, with a few things. And now he is going to make an incredible speech. This is his moment. This is Stephen's moment. Stephen has been, we know from earlier on, uh, been waiting tables. He's been kind of like cleaning up the tables and serving the communion. And, and back then it was a meal. And he's kind of serving in the church. But God is using him powerfully, and, and he, gets, he gets brought before this whole council and, and all the, the, the leaders, religious leaders, and, and, and now he gets to make his last offense. And, and he says, brothers and fathers, hear me. And then he concludes with some fighting words, but they're truthful words. They're, they're, they're designed by the Holy Spirit to awaken people to whether or not they are submitted to God. And so he says in Acts 7, 51 to 58, he says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You have received the law as delivered by the angels and did not keep it. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened up the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. See, when you, when you speak truth, people will want to block their ears. Our world wants to be deaf to the truth. So they'll, they'll block their ears and, and gnash their teeth and get angry. There's a, there's a whole movement to silence anyone who would want to speak truth, even in love, to this world. There's certain parts of the world where certain parts of the Bible have been officially declared as hate speech. If you say that truth, you will be, you, you'll be held liable in a court of law. The world does not want to hear the truth. And so we see here with Stephen clearly not a neutral response. Very few people are just apathetic about it. Ah, yeah, no, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Isn't that, isn't that an interesting thing? How people get so angry about something they claim to not believe. Like if you don't believe it, why does it even matter? then just let it be. You know, how many of you believe that, that unicorns are real? I'm just checking. <laughs> but how many of you walk around every day going, ah, unicorns. People that believe in unicorns irritate me so much. I'm gonna, where are they? I'm gonna find them online and I'm gonna troll them. And I'm gonna declare some of my own hate speech towards them because they are just deceiving the whole world with this unicorn nonsense. Like, I'm sure there are people that believe in unicorns. It's the national animal of Scotland. You can look that up. It's, it's a true fact. But none of us get upset about it, because it isn't real. Why do people get so upset when we speak the truth of God and who He is? It speaks to something. People are actually, even though it seems like just pure ignorance, they're actually willfully ignorant. They want to be ignorant of the truth. They don't want to be moved towards truth. 
And so I'd venture to say that if we're not offending people occasionally, then we're probably not sharing truth that often. And I can add here that sometimes it's not the gospel that offends people, but the people that offend people. You know, we know that some are unwise in how they carry it across and don't carry it across with the heart of Christ that they're supposed to. Colossians 4.6 speaks into this and it says this. It says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each person. So there's a way to answer and a way not to answer. There's a way to communicate and a way not to communicate. And that's why we need to be good at our conversations. We need to grow in the skill and this area and in hearing God's voice as we share the truth. Now, it doesn't say let your speech always be sugar-coated. It says seasoned with salt. And if you think about what salt does, if you take something that would taste very bland, something like popcorn, have you ever tasted popcorn without salt? And then you put some salt on and it brings the natural flavor of the popcorn out. And so what we want to do is bring the flavor out, the taste out in the truth, in everything that God has called us to say, in everything that God has created. We want, to, we want to flavor our conversations in such a way that people taste the goodness of God. So we're not here to sugarcoat and we're not here to, to, to force things down people's throats, but we're here to share things in a way that's seasoned with salt, that brings the grace of God onto the scene, that causes them to experience God's grace in that moment. Let your speech always be gracious, accurate, brings the accurate taste through, the accurate understanding of who God is. The word of God, the Bible says, is sharper than a double-edged sword. And it says it's able to cut down to where the soul and the spirit meet. It divides just what we think and what we feel and, and what our personalities would prefer from what is the truth of God. And as we speak that truth, it's able to bring that division and it hastens to accomplish what God sent it forth to accomplish. Is what the scriptures say. And never returns to God void. And so can you really fail? If you just decide to have a conversation or to speak an encouragement or to share God's word. I've done this so many times without necessarily seeing the fruit in that moment. I remember being at a wedding and looking over at a table of somebody, that, you know, a group there that I didn't know. You know, when you go to those weddings, you know, like one person. Um, so you have a very long conversation with them. Um, but there was somebody on the other table and I felt like God gave me a word to speak to them. So when I was leaving the wedding, I went over to them, I put my hand on their shoulder, and I shared just a few sentences of what I thought. And they looked at me like, the soak's nuts. Like, what are you talking about? But you know, I walked away after having shared those few words. And I don't know what God is going to do with that seed that was planted, but at least the seed was planted. And that's what we've got to trust in. We've got to trust that when we speak, God will do the rest his word does not return void. If you think back to the biggest turning points in your life, you can often go back to a conversation where God was able to speak through somebody else to help reorient your path. We've seen marriages saved through conversations. We've seen people connect with God through conversations. We've seen eternal destinies altered through the simple power of a conversation and just a few words of encouragement. Preaching. And sharing and speaking is the New Testament 
delivery system for the gospel. Romans 10, 14 says, how will they call on him and who they've believed and how will they believe in him, uh, in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So the New Testament model for how a person is able to receive the gospel is through the preaching of the word. And so Jesus says we are to make disciples as we teach them. And I believe it happens in authentic relationships. And so we need to be better at conversations. I mean, we don't even like phone calls anymore. How many of you, when somebody phones you these days, you're like the audacity, you know? You text me first and you find out if I'm even taking calls today, you know? And we like, and that's like your 19-year-old son, you know, saying that. And so, and so we we've become so so flooded with information and communication and whatever that 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 we've become so closed off to these kinds of things. And and so we we struggle to have these conversations. But a conversation opens a soul to the Word of God and allows people. And this is really what it's all about. How do you disciple somebody? You're not trying to get them perfectly formed. In one moment, you're just trying to help them take their next step. So if I said to you, think about three people right now, what would their next step be? Can you help them take it? Maybe they're they not coming to church right now. Maybe their next step is joining you at church. You can just invite them. Maybe they're coming to church, but they're not in a community group. Maybe you can invite them to your community group. Maybe they're, they're, they haven't been baptized or, or, or they're, they're somebody that hasn't been baptized in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit and you can pray for them for that or you could, you know, whatever it might be. What is their next step? If you ask them the question, could you potentially help them take that next step? All right, so in the little bit of time that I have left, I'm gonna end by sharing five kinds of conversations that we need to have with people if we're gonna disciple them. The first one is aspirational conversations aspirational conversations, aspirational conversations. I don't know if you have, have ever been too close to something that you're trying to find. And so you're kind of walking around. It happened to me this past, uh, actually on Friday, I was out with my boys at the driving range and, um, and uh, Jude was looking for his tea. You know, when you've teed off and your tea jumps out of the ground and it's lying on the ground somewhere and he's standing right over it. And I'm like, Jude, it is at your feet. And then he'll walk one step forward this way and he'll take a step backwards this way and he'll look to that and he's actually on top of it right there. But because he's so close to it, he can't see it. Because I'm standing a little bit further away, I can clearly see it. And so I'm able to direct him as I'm speaking to him and I can say, no, take a step back. That's where it is. And sometimes we need people to have these kinds of conversations with us where they help us see the bigger picture. An aspirational conversation is a visionary conversation. This is what we believe God has called you to. They're too close to themselves. They're looking in the mirror every day. They're dealing with their own flaws. They're dealing with their own perfections and their own struggles. And many times we get so caught up fighting that fight that we no longer see the bigger picture of what God has for our lives. Until somebody else steps in and says, I can see greatness in you. I can see incredible things that God wants to do through you. If you see Jesus in someone, if you see the future of God for somebody's life, share it with them. Speak to them about it. About it. Help them see the picture that God is showing you about their future and cause them to believe again in the call of God for their lives. A big part of discipleship is helping point people to the vision that God has for them. If you see gold in them, tell them. Everything in the world is calling them to be smaller is causing them to be smaller. 
is calling them to less. Let's be the ones that call others to more, to the bigger picture that God has for them. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. We are not able to be sharp in the call of God, effective. A blunt sword is worth nothing. It does more damage than good. We need to be sharpened by one another. And so conversations that are aspirational, that help us sharpen each other are a very powerful thing. How are you going to get that sharpening? Only in one way, by being in community by being in a position where you can, can grow from each, you know, from uh, or be sharpened by one another and grow as you encourage each other. My wife always says about siblings, you know, sometimes uh, sibling relationships can be strained. But one of the reasons why that is, is because a sibling knows who you are. And so how many of us growing up in our adolescent lives decided, I'm going to be something different from what I was when I was growing up. I'm going to reinvent myself. And then you're out there fooling everybody in the workplace or in your, you know, your friendship group, like, this is who I am, until you come home. And your sibling looks at you across the table going, what are you doing? Why are you being weird? <laughs> you know, just like, they know who you are. Why are you trying to be something else? Just be who you are. In the same way, as siblings in Christ, whenever we are tempted to pretend or to operate in our own strength, we can look at each other and say, come on, we know each other. God has more for us. Let's grow together. The second one is aligning conversations. So aspirational, where we help people see God's vision for their lives, and aligning conversations. We all need this from time to time, some alignment. I don't know if you've ever looked at your tires after a long journey. Maybe you've gone on a road trip, and then you've looked at your tires, and you realize that the wear on your tires are uneven. It's uneven. You've, you know, you've messed the left side of your front tires up, and you know, um, the alignment was obviously out when you, took that, when you took that journey. How often do our lives get out of alignment with God's Word? How often do we begin to pursue things in a way that, that doesn't line up with our faith, doesn't line up with our values, doesn't line up with who we are in Christ? And what it does is it actually creates wear and tear on your life. It will wear your soul down. It will cause an unevenness, an imbalance in your life because it's, it's disintegration, which is the opposite of integrity. When something's integrated, it is what it is. It's together. And so when you live one life over here and have one set of values over here, but then you move out and pursue a different set of values from time to time, you're actually dislocated. Have you ever dislocated an arm or a shoulder or a finger? It's painful. I remember dislocating my shoulder playing a rugby game. My coach ran over and I needed him to help me realign it. And he grabbed my arm stepped on my chest and popped it back in, slapped me on the bum and said, now go have your best 20. <laughs> the good old days. But, you know, I needed someone else to help me realign. And sometimes when we're veering off course, when there is wear on your tire that's uneven, we need somebody else to come and say, this is harming you. Let's be realigned. Let's come back to the values we believe in. Let's be aligned again. And we shouldn't resist that in our lives. We often have to align people to our values as a church. 
People have different ideas of church, and we have our set of values and what we believe God has called us to do. But sometimes people come and say, you're not experiencing revival because you're not singing the old hymns. You need to go back to the old hymns. And we do a full Jesus in those moments with people. We do this, Matthew 5, 38 to 39 and 43 to 44. He says, have you, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek also. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And so Jesus goes, yes, you have heard before. And so he, he's, he's validating. You, it, it, you've heard that, it was said, that this was said before. But now I say, this is how it's going to be. So you have heard, but I say, we're realigning people. And so we say, you have heard the old hymns, but we say, no, <laughs> we're going to do new hymns. And the point is, is that sometimes we need to acknowledge where people are coming from, but help them see something better. If you're going to disciple someone, you have to be willing to have aligning conversations with them. Third one, accountability conversations. Conversations that produce accountability. Proverbs 27 verse 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And so this happens in the context of relationship, right? You can't hold people accountable just out of the blue because they're not gonna receive it from you. You can't just walk up to them and go, hey, I just wanna speak into your life right now. I just don't think that what you're doing, he's like, you don't know what my context is, right? And generally when people criticize you, here's some encouragement for someone. If someone's criticizing you, 99% of the time, it's because they don't have the context. If they knew the full context, they would think differently about it. Then there's also that 1% of the time when you need to hear it because you're actually guilty of it. Um, but oftentimes, accountability and accountability conversations are going to work in the context of relationship. These are words that challenge, challenge our words and our actions. If, if, if you're married, you'd be familiar with this kind of conversation. Marriage is actually, an, it's an incredible, incredible relationship because there's commitment, but there's also accountability. You can't just go off and become anything that you want to be in, in a way that dishonors the values that you have formed your life on or based your life on because it would be a disconnect. And so your spouse, come husbands, how often, you know, your wife could be substituted for the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. You know, you want to go off and spend a lot of money and you just want to go do this and do that, and your wife will come and she'll be the pure voice of reason. She'll say, that's not what we should do. And you know in that moment, it's challenging, but it's true. It's, it's what you should listen to. If you're a parent, you know about accountability, keeping your kids accountable. Sometimes they keep us accountable as well. But you'll never be able to receive this if you weren't in community. I remember once when one of our team members decided to leave the church, just kind of on the drop of a hat, he decided, I'm out. And generally, when people decide to leave, you know, we want people that are wholehearted, that are all in. And so if somebody says they want to leave, I'm not generally going to expend a lot of energy trying to, you know, trying to get you to come back, right? Uh, unless there's some major misunderstanding, whatever, I'll do that. But, but in general, if people have made a decision, we allow them to make their own decisions, believe it or not. And, and, and so this happened, but this time was different. Because we had heard why he said, he, he told us what, what, why he wanted to leave. And, uh, and we had this relationship with him, a long-standing relationship actually. And so this was a discipling moment for him. And so I decided to give him a call. And I gave him a call. And I said to him, let's speak honestly. This is the reason that you gave us as to why you're leaving Anchor Church. 
The reason you said is because you are going to another church because God told you to go to that church so that you can go and do the Bible school that that church has. And so you have left because of that. But now I want to ask you the question. It's like two weeks later. Are you still in that church? Answer comes back. No. He's now in a different one. So I'm like, so I just want to know, was God wrong or were you wrong? When you told us that this is why you were leaving, was God wrong or were you wrong? And he just stayed silent. I said, okay, so whatever it is, we love you. We care about you. We just want to know what was the issue? Why did you leave? And so now I want to just come to something truthful. I've got a discipling relationship with this guy. We've been on a journey for years. Why did you leave? We, we cared about your journey. And his answer was that he got frustrated because on one specific Sunday, while we were still setting up church, there was communion. And the communion elements had been forgotten in the trailer where we stored all of our stuff. And he had to walk to the trailer twice before the service, trying to find everything. It was a frantic Sunday morning. If you've ever planted a church, you'll know what I'm talking about. This was years ago, by the way. And, uh, and he went and he was looking for the stuff. And he got frustrated and he said, that's it. I'm going to a church where they know where the communion elements are. I was like, no, that's, I mean, fine. That's, a, that's your reason. But I just want to ask you this. And remember, this is a discipling moment. If, you, if God did call you to be a part of our team and build what he wants to do at Anchor Church, and you go to heaven one day and you stand before him and God goes, did you fulfill my call that I had for you at Anchor? If you then say, no, Lord, because they sent me to the trailer twice, do you think that would be a good conversation for you? Do you think that's going to work well for you standing before God? You know, sometimes people just need to be held accountable. And I'm not talking about in a mean way. I'm talking about a way. And you know what he said to me at the end of that conversation? He apologized. We spoke it through. We prayed together. And he said, Adrian, I have more respect for you now than I had before. I wasn't trying to call him out in a way to humiliate him. I was actually trying to say, I said to him, you go to this church that you're going to, and you serve your, I almost said your pants off, but that sounds wrong, um, your backside off. You serve, you give everything, you, you just give your all. We, we don't mind if you're building the kingdom, but just don't walk away from the call of God on your life. It doesn't have to be at anchor, but give it your all wherever you are. You see, that disciples a person. They realize, wow, this, is actually, this actually matters. It's actually important. It's a part of our accountability. It's a part of discipleship. It empowers us to change. All right, number four, I'm going to wrap up swiftly. Activating conversations to activate others. An activating conversation is one where you help people take their next step. Come, let's get going. Right? Sometimes people just kind of drift. They don't know what to do next. And sometimes if you just take them by the hand and you get up and you say, let's just do it. Have you ever had so many things to do in a day that you kind of sit on the bed and you like, you just end up scrolling on social media or sitting on the couch, kind of daydreaming because you, you actually got so much to do that you don't know what to do next. Oftentimes this happens to Lee and I where we've got such a jam-packed uh, uh, schedule and day ahead of us, so many things to do that in trying to decide which one's the most important to do, we actually waste more time than if we just started with the, any of them and just started doing them. And so many times, Lee will come over and say, let's just go do the first thing. Or I'll go to her and I'll say, let's just get in the car and get stuff done. And so sometimes we need somebody that's going to say, let's just go do something. In many ways, Jesus speaking to his followers in Matthew 28 saying, go into all the world. Was him saying, come on, let's just go. You don't need more training, more equipping, more you know, sermons, more things. Just get going. When Jesus ascended into heaven, all of a sudden, 
all those who stood there watching him going into heaven, the angels appeared and he looked at them and says, why are you standing here? Don't you know that he is going to return in the same way that you saw him leave? He's coming again. Time is short. Let's get activated. Let's get moving. And sometimes if you're going to disciple someone, you need to just take them by the hand and say, come on, let's build something. Let's do something. Let's start something. Come to the community group. Let's, let's do an outreach. Let's raise some money. Let's feed the poor. Let's go to church. Let's worship together. Let's encourage some people. Let's get involved. Let's get stuck in. Let's share the gospel. Activating conversations. Let's get moving. It was Jesus. Go, he said. The angels, why are you standing here? Let's move. Let's go. Let's activate. Many great things have happened in my life because of an older leader that told me to stop waiting until I was ready and to just get going. It activated belief in my life. If they think I can do it, then maybe they're right. When I was praying about starting Anchor Church, I went and had specific conversations with pastors and the whole conversation basically ended up like this. Do you think I can do it? And they were like, you could have done this long ago. You could start 10 in a row. It's in you. And I believed. So I stepped out and I did it. They discipled me and it had, it bore fruit what they did. Finally, if we are going to disciple people, we have to be willing to have awkward conversations. I heard Phil Dooley once say, you can measure your leadership by your willingness to have difficult conversations. If you're not willing to have difficult conversations with people, you're probably not leading. Sometimes we're aligning, we're activating, we're practicing accountability, and in doing that, it can be awkward. I know that one of the first questions that the ARC Church Planting Network asked prospective church planters, uh, the married couples that want to start a church, one of the first questions they ask you is, how's your sex life? Like, man, I just wanted to plant a church. Why are you asking me about my sex life? How's your marriage? How's your relationship? In your marriage, do you have healthy sexual relationship? A sexual relationship? Because if you don't, it could introduce some disunity in your marriage and the pressures of planting a church and ministry and life and kids and all of that can actually put pressure on that disunity and cause a break. And so those that have led me have asked me that question. How's your marriage? How's your soul? If we care about people, we do not shy away from the difficult conversations. When I was a young pastor, I would really shy away from some of these hard conversations. And one of the reasons was, I was like, I'm like early 20s or mid 20s, and I'm dealing with people that are going through things that I've not experienced. I mean, I'm young, I haven't experienced what they've experienced. And so many times, if I heard about something that somebody went through, if I was praying for someone, I, I would not really know what to say. I, would, I didn't want to dishonor them by trying to pretend like I could understand what they were going through. Until a point in my life, I'd gone through enough of my own hardships where I actually realized when I was in some of my lowest moments, there were some pastors, older pastors that phoned me and asked me outright what happened and, and how did it happen? And, and what did you do? And they actually got me talking about the story. I was like, I thought that was the opposite. I thought you were supposed to not press people when they're going through something difficult and just be like, oh man, we're, just, we're praying for you, which is what I would have done before. And so I remember one time going and sitting with a man 
in ICU. He had just come out of an operation. He had been in a car accident. His 26-year-old son was driving the car home. They worked together. They were on a dirt road. A car veered into their lane. He swerved to miss it, rolled the car. His 26-year-old son was thrown out of the car. The car rolled over him and he was killed instantly. This man, he had his, his ear was ripped off. And so the operation that he just came out of was that operation to try and, uh, and surgically repair the damage that had been done to his, to his head. Now I'm sitting with a man older than me. His son was about my age at the time. And how am I going to encourage him? What am I going to say to this man? And so I asked him, how are you? <laughs> it's the best I could come up with at the moment. How are you? You know what his response was? He was a big, you know, one of those staunch Afrikaans. You know, they don't show emotion in the best of times. You can shoot them through the kneecap, they won't show emotion, you know. And he said, I'm fine. I just feel sorry for my, my wife and my daughter. That was his response. But now I had had a bit of experience. And so I said, tell me about the accident. How did it happen? He started describing how he was driving down the road. How did the car swerve? I said, what, what side of the road were you on? And I started asking detail. At what point did you realize that you had lost your son? At what point, what did you do immediately after? What did you see? What did you hear? And I, I took him back to the moment. And as he spoke, tears just began to roll down his face. And there was actually some healing, I believe, that was happening in that moment. Because I was allowing him to feel something that he would have just blocked off. We have this ability of just suppressing emotions in order to survive. And me asking a few questions, I didn't drive too deeply. I wasn't there to, to terrorize him. I just wanted him to be able to speak and get some of that off of his chest. And the tears rolled down his eyes and we prayed together. And about three times after that, he, through his family, sent me messages to let me know how much that conversation meant to him. Previously, I would have just said, it's too awkward. I don't know what to say to help this man. I'm not going to say anything. Because I was willing to venture out, I actually, by God's grace, was able to help him find some peace in that moment. Apparently, he got up at his son's funeral and was well enough to preach the gospel and do an invitation for people to receive Jesus at the funeral. God is doing some miracles there. You see, if you're going to disciple someone, you don't have to shy away from the difficult moments. You can step into those difficult moments with them. You can empathize with them. You can laugh with those who laugh, celebrate with those who celebrate, dance with those who dance, and mourn with those who mourn. That's what the Scripture says we're called to do. We can experience sorrow alongside those who are experiencing sorrow because we care about them. And so if we're going to disciple others, we cannot shy away from difficult conversations. So it's aspirational, it's aligning, it's accountable, it's activating, and sometimes it's awkward. What's in a conversation? Oftentimes life itself. The power for lives to be transformed. And if you feel like you don't have the wisdom for it, Matthew 10, 19, God says, don't worry about, what, about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. Come on, Anchor Church. I'm believing that next year we can all disciple others. We can all be discipled by one another. That we can have these conversations 
that lead to life. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me this morning as I pray over you?